Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, and Notre Dame, and UK, and I was just all over the place trying to make some money, but then build a network. Toughest adjustment for me was everything that I wanted or thought I wanted, when I finally got it, it consumed me. Every day as a coach, every time you talk to the team, every time you put on a uniform, you're selling tickets to your funeral. Again, you're where you're at because you're where you're supposed to be, and timing is everything, just like in baseball as it is in life. Growth comes when you're uncomfortable. I go back to this, man. I think if you're where your feet are, I think that is completely embracing the opportunity that you have. But it's not one example, and that's the way everyone should do it. It's relative to where you're at and the personnel that you have. Fellas, fellas, fellas. Welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host, Joey Cunha. And I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we are here to be a bridge from where you are to where you're going. We'd like to welcome back our veteran listeners. We're happy to grow with you again. We'd also like to welcome our first-time listeners, the rookies. Don't worry, every vet was once a rookie. On this episode, we sit down with Jeremy Sheetinger. Jeremy is the host for the ABCA's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. This week on the farm, we experienced some technical difficulties, and I lost connection during the call. However, Joy was able to remain on the line and complete the interview. Thank you to all of our loyal and first-time listeners for understanding. Without further ado... Pull up a seat, grab your notepad. Here's Jeremy Sheetinger. Welcome back to the Farm System. We're sitting down with Jeremy Sheetinger, host of ABCA's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. Sheets, we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to sit down and chat with us here at the Farm System. We can't start this interview if I don't drop. Fellas, fellas, fellas. <laughs> Thanks for having me on the call. Uh, Joey and Bo, man, I'm beyond grateful for the opportunity. Huge fan of the show. And uh, again, thanks for having me on here. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, Sheets, you know, the big reason we want to have you on is, first off, you were such an inspirational part of getting the podcast even started. And you obviously have the perspective of being a former coach and, you know, diving into the ABCA and interviewing some of the top, you know, coaches in the game. And so uh, we just think you have so much perspective and so much value that you've already been added to the game. And we'd love to you know, share those with our listeners and extend that ABCA family on. Absolutely. I'm all in for that, man. I really appreciate the the remarks, man. It means the world to me to to think what we've started here and where things are going. And um, hopefully as we talk through this entire conversation, man, I think coaches and the guys paying attention will see where I've come from and, and where we're at now. So let's dive into it, man. Yeah, of course. The first thing is I got to know how many scholarship offers and LOI Charlie got from that. Uh, <laughs> from that you know, there. Um, it's so awesome. I've gotten uh, or we've gotten, I'm sorry, we have gotten three different care packages so far. Uh, <laughs> one is from an SEC program. And if you know my relationships inside of SEC softball, you know exactly who I'm talking about. And it was an awesome package delivered directly to CJ. Uh, we're on the right track, and they're starting to come in. We're we're working through them. We're making sure that the financials are in order, but we're getting there. I appreciate you asking. What's, awesome, what's we we got to make sure that uh, you know the NCAA clearinghouse doesn't hear of any of this. You know, one hundred percent. Why should go play NAI? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, sheets. Kind of before we get everything going here, uh, do you mind opening up to our listeners about your journey through the game of baseball? 
Absolutely. So I'm going to preface this entire uh, walk through where I've been with the idea of you're where you're at because you're where you're supposed to be. And that's how I view my entire journey in terms of the places that I've been and the the, uh, experiences that I've had. So growing up, Frankfort, Kentucky, uh, grew up a basketball fan, 20 minutes from the front door of Rupp Arena and uh, thought that this chubby white frame was going to make it one day in the NBA. And I I liked baseball. It was a great hobby. I played, I played wiffle ball, did those things, but you know, basketball is my passion. And then I was very fortunate. And again, timing's everything. And I got drafted by uh, a little league coach named Bud Ritchie, my 12 year old year. And it was a guy that you go back to that moment, that year, 1993. And this cat man worked me as hard as I'd ever been worked up to that point, um, was extremely tough on us, but man, he came to practice 12 year old little league he came to practice every day with a practice plan. He had an idea of what he was trying to do. He had it scheduled out throughout the year. He took a kid that was from, you know, five to 11 was your proverbial right fielder. We all know who that kid is. <laughs> and he said, man, you've you got a big frame. Like, let's get you on the infield. Let's put you at first base. Man, you can really hit. Let's move you in the middle of the lineup instead of putting you at eight or nine. And it just changed everything for me, man. That, that team goes 19 and one. We win the, the Frankfurt Little League Championship. And that dude, like, changed baseball for me that summer. And it became a passion. I mean, I'm watching it more on TV and I'm paying attention and I'm diving into the College World Series at that point. And it's just a, a dynamic that changed for the game for me was, was from my Little League coach. And great experience, Franklin County High School, my, my two high school coaches, I just, I think the world of, um, and gave me an opportunity and really, you know, helped propel my career to give me a chance to go play college baseball. I started off the University of Charleston, West Virginia, Division Two, played my freshman year and then uh, blew out my shoulder in summer ball, had to sit out, had to redshirt a year. And that gave me a chance to just evaluate everything. I wanted to get a little bit closer to home. Uh, I want to be closer to my dad. I moved back home uh, and went to school uh, about two hours away in Owensboro, Kentucky, Kentucky Wesleyan College. And at that point, man, I was just hanging on and trying to finish up my eligibility. My shoulders never recouped and never came back the way that, that I could. I couldn't hit the way that I used to hit in high school. So I was a, a, a part-time DH, very limited, the below average college baseball player. But what it gave me a chance to do while I was at Wesleyan was instead of going out and playing summer baseball, I had a chance to go coach summer baseball. So this is back when the travel baseball was really starting to come together. I coached the Frankfurt 16-year-old All-Stars for two summers as the head coach. I'm 20 years old, 21 years old, figuring out how fast the game moves in the third base coaching box and figuring out how to manage a pitching staff and how to uh, navigate summer tournaments and travel and those type of things at 20 years old. And I did that uh, through college. And that gave me an opportunity to break into college baseball. One of the players that I had coached, he was a player at Georgetown College. They get a brand new head coach. You're where you're at because that's where you're supposed to be. And he has an opportunity to walk into his head coach's office and say, hey, man, I got a young guy that wants to break into college baseball. You should give him a shot. Coach Hagan brings me up for an interview, a guy that had 20 years in the game up in his career to that point and really showed me that I knew nothing about the game. Whatever I thought I knew, was so far from what was reality in terms of how to teach and, and what the ideas were and what the philosophies were. Um, was a, f- a phenomenal head coach for me to be my first job in baseball. Also on that staff was Nick Otte. Nick Otte just uh, took the pitching coach job at Central Florida, did a fantastic job over nine years building up Xavier University and the run that they've had. Uh, had a chance to work with Nick and Coach Hagan. It, it absolutely blew me away of two really good baseball guys. I left there and I moved back to Owensboro. So this is 05. And, my college coach, Alan Cox, who's up in Okotoks, Alberta, Canada, running the Dogs Academy. Alan wanted to really make a business out of his lessons and, and really grow something inside a facility. 
So I moved back and we, we opened up a brand new baseball softball academy. And I did that for a year. That then gave us the opportunity, Alan and myself, to go coach the Owensboro Oilers, which is a college summer baseball team. Used to be in the Kit League. Now they're in the Ohio Valley League. Uh, Alan and I coached that team and had a chance to um, win the conference cha- or win the, the league championship. And you're where you're at because you're where you're supposed to be. One of the players on that team was a player at Brescia University. They had a brand new head coach who was a pitching coach. He went in and said, hey, we got a position player coach for the Oilers, guy you need to think about. I took that job uh, as a $5,000 graduate assistant. In Georgetown, I worked for free, worked for handshakes and a free lunch every once in a while. This was $5,000, so I thought I'd really made it. Um, and, uh, we had bought a house, I'd gotten married and now bills start coming in. I realized that, man, I'm not going to make it on five grand. So I had to work at a metal factory while I was at Brescia for that year from four in the morning until two in the afternoon. And at two in the afternoon, I'd clock out, I'd run to Brescia, I'd jump in the middle of practice. I'd go back to the office. I'd make recruiting calls, do what I need to do and then turn around and do it all over again. So it was really a, a test of um, how bad do you really want this thing. After that year, man, I worked every camp that I could. Uh, went to Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, and Notre Dame, and UK, and I was just all over the place trying to make some money, but then build a network. And in building that network, Coach Cohen and I became pretty close to Kentucky. They had an opportunity to bring me on as a graduate assistant in 2008. So I came to UK as a GA. Um, Coach Cohen left and took the job at Mississippi State. Coach Henderson got promoted, and I got a chance to stay on as a director of baseball operations for two seasons. So spending three years at UK, 20 minutes from my front door of where I grew up, was an awesome opportunity. Blew my mind as to SEC baseball and how it how it looks, how it feels. Um, you know, I got a chance to work with Brad Bohannon and Brian Green, and uh, like I said, Gary Henderson. Got a chance to coach against some really good people, and then had an opportunity to leave there. And you know, I really didn't want to go to the Division One route, and that sounds weird, but um, after seeing it on that level and then knowing that my next move out of UK was probably to some mid-major that needed a, a complete turnaround. Not that I was scared of a challenge, guys. Don't take it that way. But I think it was more of, man, I'm a small college guy at heart. Like I, I could get a really good Division II job as an assistant, and we could really go compete for a national championship. And that was that was my idea is I could go the small college route and do some different things than I can at the mid-major level. And so I uh, took an assistant job at St. Joseph's College in Indiana, Division II. Rick Odette, who's now at St. Leo, had a chance to spend two years with him. And then working with him, I got a chance to uh, be at the right place at the right time. You're where you're at because you're where you're supposed to be. And had an opportunity to get a, head, a call from Mike Stosky, who's the head coach of Concordia, Chicago. He was leaving Spalding University in Louisville. Hey, Sheets, do you really want this job? It's an opportunity to be a Division three head coach. And I went down there for three seasons, and we did some really cool things and tried to put Spalding baseball on the map. And um, after three years, this opportunity arrived at, at ABCA, created a brand new position that was a small college liaison. Um, and I'm a small college dude, and it really couldn't have worked out any better with no script. And so I've got a chance to come in here, and what's what my job started as is so much different than what I do now, uh, which is awesome. But um, it's been a great learning experience for me, and I, I work for an organization that I'm very proud to be a part of. Man, that's so awesome. And, you know, I, I love it. You know, you coming from, you know, just so many different areas of the game and, and coming back, you know, back through. Now you're with the ABCA. What is that relationship with the ABCA? What does that mean to you? You know, I've, I've thought a lot about this this question. And I think when I go back to as a coach, uh, when I was in college, and you know, Alan and I spent a lot of time talking about me getting into coaching. Like I said, I wasn't playing summer baseball. So I'd come back and Alan and I would sit down. He goes, well, what'd you learn this summer? 
And, you know, I remember specifically telling them, hey, man, this tournament in Louisville, man, the, I got so sped up in the box. I gave signs. I felt like I was getting them for three minutes because I couldn't get the right sign. I had like a touch system in place and I kept screwing up. And so we, we talked through all these different dynamics. And he said, man, I just can't wait until you, you finally get to a place where um, the program is going to pay for you to go to the ABCA convention. Well, what's the ABCA convention? And then I was, I mean, 20 years old, he's opening my mind to this gathering of, of thousands of baseball coaches. And the fact that you can listen to the very best, all the names that I knew as a college baseball groupie, I could, I could watch those guys on stage and learn from them and hang out with them in the lobby. And he's telling me all these different stories. So from an early place of not even being a college baseball coach, but spending two years coaching travel baseball in college, I knew I wanted to be part of the ABCA. And from day one, I've been a member. This will be my 15th continuous year uh, inside the ABCA. And I think the growth of our association and, and more importantly, the mindset of what ABCA is for coaches is a coach hit me with this and I completely agree with them. The ABCA for a long time was, was just that it was the ABCA, which represented four days in January at, at a convention. It wasn't a true coaches association. You paid your membership fees because you have to, to, to attend our convention. It wasn't because you took pride in being part of a brotherhood. And I think the word that I tried to use when I first got here was fraternity. We've got to build a fraternity feel. So you're paying your membership dues because you feel uh, moved to be part of the fraternity of baseball coaches. And once you get in it, you realize, you know, six degrees of separation is really like one degree of separation. You're you're right there from every coach in the country. And it's a brotherhood amongst um, all levels of baseball. I mean, I think what defines the ABCA and, and what it means to me and what we're really trying to build our culture of our association around is, you know, we got an opportunity to educate coaches and uh, strengthen baseball communities and grow the game. That's awesome. But we're really attracting coaches. And there were so many at, in Indianapolis that they had the number one first year on their badge. We're attracting guys who are interested in learning. And we're really growing a culture of sharing and growing a culture of challenging thought and never being settled in what you believe in this game. To me, that's what we represent as a, a platform, an arena, an association that has year-round presence now, as opposed to four days in January. We have year-round presence, and it's something that is uh, it's unique to baseball learners who take themselves seriously, and they want to be part of this fraternity. I think that's what that represents. Yeah, I mean, I can say I can say I'm a proud uh, first year ABCA member. That's it. So That's um, it. the same thing. This was my first year really diving into being a full time coach, and so um, I loved it. You know, I attended the convention. I, I got to uh, meet Sheets this year. Got That's to right. roll in and, uh, and walk right. through the convention, and kind of how our relationship started. So mm-hmm. um, definitely, you know, uh, back to ABCA and you know everything that it provides and uh, the education level and just how it is the you know, networking. I mean, um, you know, the relationships that I've built there with you know, even Eugene Bleeker from um, 108. I mean, sure. he's been, a, you know, a phenomenal resource. I mean, I'm out here. It's crazy how everything works, but, you know, he had uh, Donnie Ecker, who's the hitting coach for the AAA for the Angels, mm-hmm. and he's out here in Salt Lake. And so we've connected over that and um, hopefully we'll grab him here in the next couple of weeks on the podcast as well. But it's just, um, you know, amazing what those relationships lead to and the networking component is, along with that. So um, just, you know, love the ABCA and everything that's provided for me, just even, even in this first year, you know, <laughs> it's awesome. It's uh, the networking side of things is one that uh, coaches, you, you can't undersell. Um, and, and when I say one degree of separation, it, it, it seems daunting to think that a 
JV assistant high school coach in Baltimore can somehow find a connection to get to Rick Vanderhoek at Cal State Fullerton. If you just start talking, you start to figure out that this guy knows this guy, this guy can get to this guy, and this guy has his cell phone number. And it's or, or at convention, you, you're in the same elevator with them. And I, I, I've been through this my first year. I was right beside Mike Fox from North Carolina, and I literally was was touching his polo. He had a big time <laughs> Nike Carolina blue polo on, and I reached over, and that was the way I broke the ice. I went, man, what kind of material you guys got? I can buy that. I'm not getting that same polo. And instead of, you know, leaving it at that and, and making them laugh for a second, why didn't I say, hey, coach, if you could, man, I'd love to grab and pick your brain for a little bit and grab you a little bit later and maybe talk a little about what you guys do offensively. Like that is the beauty of what we are is I think on site and, and even inside our association, the ego seems to go away um, mm-hmm. because I think the again, the, the fraternity of learning and sharing and and collaborating and and I can learn from you. Tim Corbin always used the example. Tim Corbin will sit down with any coach where mm-hmm. that coach wants to just grill Corbs. Man, he's going to stop all that and go, well, hey, don't worry about what I do. What do you do? Because I'm interested in learning something from you that I can take back to Vanderbilt. That, to me, epitomizes ABCA. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you, Sheets. And I think you alluded to some great points there. You know, networking is key in every profession, but anybody that's been in the game of baseball knows how truly important it is. I mean, you know, look at your story, for example. You climb that coaching ladder through both your work ethic, but even more than that, your ability to network. So for ABCA to give coaches like Joey and I that opportunity to connect with people like you and many others, it's it's humbling to be a part of. That's awesome. We appreciate that. Of course, we appreciate you guys. Shoshits, as you look back and reflect on your journey, what was the biggest adjustment you experienced going from assistant coach to head coach? Yeah, it's definitely a a journey. I mean, I think... Uh, me getting an opportunity to be a head coach at 20 and 21 may have been the worst thing that ever happened to me. Um, I look back at eight years as an assistant coach, three years as a, a college head coach, and then two years as a travel head coach. Um, eight years as an assistant, I don't think I was a very good assistant coach. Um, and I can, I, I mean that with, with full transparency and, and complete honesty. I don't feel like, uh, I think cutting my teeth at 20 and 21 and, and getting a taste of running the show and filling out the lineup and, making every move, you know, like that almost, um, crippled my, my ego to a place where it it inflated it to a point (laughs) where, um, as, as any place that I've been, I I just constantly was like, man, if I could just do a little bit more and I, and my ego wanted me to get a little bit more credit and a little bit more responsibility. Yeah, definitely confidence. I wanted more responsibility because I had confidence, but it was almost a blind confidence because I mean, for me to run an offense when I thought I needed, I should have ran an offense at 24, I, I would have got my doors blown off. I mean, I just, I didn't understand offense. I didn't, to me, offense was hitting mechanics. Offense wasn't how to score runs. And I think that's um, young assistant coaches, guys that break into the game sometimes struggle with that. I know I certainly did. And then you become a head coach. And then you realize that all these things I've been fighting for for eight years, I finally got, but man, it's now all on me. So it's not, you know, I'm not really sharing the investment with your assistant coaches and your players. As a head coach, you will; those guys will never be as invested as you are. That's just reality. Or even on the high school level, as a high school coach, Joey, and, and you just your players will never be as invested as you are. Your assistant mm-hmm. coaches who are part time will never be as invested as you are, and it falls on you for better or worse. I think another element of that of being a head coach. And almost be careful what you wish for is as an assistant coach, 
you spend 90% of your time on baseball. You're there at practice early for early outs and you're doing some individual stuff and you're in the cages and, hey, coach, can we hit over at the facility? Can we do that? You're just 90% baseball. And then you come into the office for about 10% of your time. You send some emails. Hey, fill out an expense report, whatever it might be. And that whole dynamic completely flips on his head. And now you're, you're 1090, you're 10% baseball and you're 90% administrator, uh, meetings with the athletic director, meetings with admissions, uh, setting up, uh, obviously recruits on campus, handling all those different dynamics, filling out paperwork, uh, you know, building your, your chart system. You're doing all these things that are outside of what I really want to do is just get in there and teach base running and get in there and talk about infield play and grab a guy and jump in the cage. You just don't have time to do that stuff. And I remember fighting that. I remember saying, everybody tells me it's 90-10 and 10-90. I'm going to make it at least 50-50. Nope, no shot, because then I'm behind in the office. I'm the one that has to respond to these emails. I'm the only full-time guy in the office. I'm the one that has to answer to the AD. And I think that was the toughest adjustment for me was everything that I wanted or thought I wanted, when I finally got it, it consumed me. Um, and I know we're going to get into that in a second. And I think that's a that's a, a place of um, – you certainly get to call your own shots, but at the same time, when you really look at how you're impacting those guys from an individual standpoint, a lot of your relationships, a lot of your touch and feel is more global. It's more as a team huddle than it, than it can be sometimes as it, on an individual basis. And that's one thing I wasn't very good at. I didn't, I didn't make that time to get back to the individual level. I tried to float above it and run the ship because that's where I felt like I was almost like a CEO as a head coach. And um, that, that's an area you can be better at. So I think, again, be careful what you wish for, but just understand, man, it, it is all on you. Um, so I think if you can, as an assistant coach, be the best assistant coach in the country. Do everything you can to work for that guy. You know, challenge his thoughts, but do it in a way that, man, at the end of the day, when he doesn't do it the way you want to do it, hey, man, that's why you get paid the big bucks. And I never had that that perspective. It was always, well, you're screwing up because that's exactly how we should do it. <laughs> and that's <laughs> just just the reality of it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. The, that, you know, one thing I think that you just opened up there is that it, that those things are great to know. Um, you know, if there is some guys that, you know, maybe if that's what you want to do, you know, staying as an assistant coach is it might be a great role for you. And there's some guys that, you know, want to be the head honcho and run those things as well. And so I think that's a great aspect. I mean, one thing I've been reflecting on lately is I really love uh, the development side of the game. I really like uh, being just the the coach where, you know, like a hitting coach at the, at the upper levels and things like that, where I'm just working with hitters and I'm working on developing them. And again, not doing a whole bunch of administration things and not doing all that, which again, I'm sure my heart may change over that over time, but I really love the development side of the game um, much more than I love all those other aspects of the game. So it kind of gives me a better understanding of where I want to stay and where's the right mm -hmm. fit for me uh, mm -hmm. right now. So I think that's a great thing. Like you said, it's, you know, um, if you want to be a head coach, just like know what that entails. And um, also with that, knowing, you know, assistant coaches and hitting coaches and things at different levels all have different roles as, you know, you spoke to as well. I mean, um, you know, obviously like, let's say, you know, in the minor leagues, like I know Donnie for, you know, AAA for the angels, you know, he is constantly, he's constantly working on the development of sides. They have programs, they have plans, but again, he's not even, he doesn't coach first base. He doesn't coach third base. He doesn't coach, right. you know, he's in the dugout. So that's a different role um, that he entails as well. And uh, you know, he deals with a lot less ad ad admin stuff that you had mentioned. So I think that those are all great things to take in, you know, before, you know, stepping into something you think you want so much.
That's right. Um, you know, and that, it, it's, it's so great. I mean, you kind of walked in, as you would say, you kind of walked into my spider web right there. <laughs> and, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> as you walked into my spider web, you know, I, I really want you to break down and describe, you know, Coach Sheets. Who was, who was he before the ABCA? When, he's, when you had no perspective yet, you had no contrast uh, to this other side of the game. Who, were, who was that Sheets and what, you know, what, how would you describe yourself? Uh, again, with full transparency and hopefully we're inside the trust tree. Um, right now with, with, with you guys and, and the audience. Um, it's, it's a guy I'm not real happy uh, about. And I think the, uh, the 13 years in coaching, 11 on the college level, I, I, um, I'm not real happy about who that guy was and how I attacked coaching. I think I try, to, I try to run from that and I try to distance myself from that and until I realize I need to embrace that and I need to wrap my arms around it and own it. And um, that's, that's healed me in so many ways, um, especially from the position I sit in now and the opportunity that I have and, uh, you know, the microphone that I have now and the conversations that we're having and what that's done for me and opened my eyes to. So I, I embrace the fact that, um, as a college coach, I was consumed by ego and that was, that was guiding my ship 100% of, of the time. Um, uh, before I got here, I would say that as a coach, the, the ego being in place, but more than that, the label of a coach, and and being nothing more than that, I was a coach. I was coach twenty four seven, and there there wasn't at times there wasn't place for me to be a great friend. Um, uh, you know, I got divorced really quickly. I got married and got divorced early in my coaching career because I wasn't going to bend to, <laughs> you know, what she expected out of uh, someone at home. I'm a coach. This is what I do, and I'm actually going to find more ways to keep, keep keep growing this thing. And that worked out perfectly. I mean, it, there's never a, a look back or regret on that. Um, but it, it just shows you, man, I, I missed a lot of things with friends, I missed a lot of things with family because I needed to be out in that space as a coach, uh, define myself by wins and losses that there was no sense of relationships or what, or what I need to hold on to, or, you know, I, I say this in some of the speaking things I do, you know, you're every day as a coach, every time you talk to the team, every time you put on a uniform, you're selling tickets to your funeral. I mean, the way that you are engaging with your players those are the ones that are going to show up when you decide to pass and move on to the next life. You know, and, and I think that was one thing I never kept in perspective. It wasn't about the relationships. You know, that there was never a moment of transforming people. It was being completely 100% transactional. And what can I get out of you? Can I get the next best player who can get more hits, who we can score more runs, we can win more games. That was where my thoughts were as a coach. And again, I I say that because I hope that there's a there's a listener there's a coach that, that that resonates with a little bit and and it probably scares the crap out of you because it's not a good place to be but I can tell you you know when I left coaching I don't have a ton of those relationships you know I have I have the very few that I'm really super close with and those those guys will be with me till the end but man I, I would love to have my phone constantly blowing up from former players you know I'm still waiting to be honest with you guys I'm still waiting for the day for one of my former players to listen to what I talk about on our podcast and say, coach, man, it really sounds like you've changed, but I don't think they care. Honestly, I think I coached them in a way and I was so tough on them and, and, and so transactional. I don't think they care. And, and that hurts on, on a lot of different levels. Um, you know, so I think again, when I look back at that, I'm, I'm, you know, again, you're where you're at cause you're where you're supposed to be. And timing is everything just like in baseball as it is in life. And I think the Lord had an opportunity uh, and presented this opportunity for me to come to ABCA to to pull um, my skill set into a different arena and pull my personality and pull the things that were positive about me, pull them away from 
probably an arena I, I didn't need to be in. I mean, I think I revered coaches. Like I told you, man, I can talk about a little league coach and I start getting teary out. I can talk about my high school coach and it warms my heart. I think I revered coaches and I still do. I'm, I'm the biggest fan of every coach in the ABCA. And I think that's why I went that route. And now that I'm away from it, I don't, I'll, I'll never go back. I, I honestly feel like I'll never coach again. That's not where I'm supposed to be. It's not where God has, has his hands on me and where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be at this place doing this job um, and, and growing this job and growing this association uh, from a standpoint of I've walked your path. I wasn't very good at it, but, man, I've lived, I've learned, and now you can learn from this perspective. And um, so, again, I go through that just to be fully transparent and say you got to challenge your why every single day. And I think uh, Chuck Box from Hartfield Academy hit me with this the other day on the phone. We always talk about the why as coaches. Then you got to take the next step once you define your why, and then define your how. So why? Why am I coaching? Why do I show up to the ballpark each day? Why is it important for me to do this? Why is it important for me to sacrifice time for my family and my friends? Why is this important? But then how? How do I go about living that each and every day? How do I go about checking myself when I move down a different path and I start creeping away from that? How do I bring myself away from my ego and die to that each day and stay in the realm of growing relationships and growing up young men and building men inside baseball? How do I go about doing that? So again, the transition's been awesome. I love it. I embrace it. But I hope someone can learn from that, just even that little story. But um, And just see that there is a different way to do this. There's a completely different way and better way to do this where at the end, you'll get your reward. You may not win a lot of championships, but in the end, you have a ton of kids that will send you birth announcements. You have a lot of guys that will invite you to their weddings. That's a guy that's really won in this coaching game. Well, Sheets, you know, that's, you know, that's great. I love that you, you know, you talked through that, what that was like. And, um, you know, I really want you to dive into the traits that you believe of all great coaches and leaders and, you know, kind of share that uh, with us as you've interviewed some of the greatest coaches of today. Yeah, it's common themes, you know, success leaves clues. I think that's the, the cliche that comes out, but it's true, man. I mean, I think when you look at Guys who are successful and, and they're, they're successful at, at coaching the game and also leading young men, all those things, all those dynamics in place, you start to peel back, you know, and, and in my words, pull back the curtain and you start to hear the same type things being said that, that really help distinguish these guys from the rest of them. There's a reason that they're not average. I think a few of those are easy. It's lifelong learners. These are guys that are constantly searching for knowledge. When you spend time with, with Pat Murphy at Alabama, when you, when you, listen to the conversations that that he has with other coaches cj gilman's a guy from air force that texts me all the time and he's got just hey what do you think about this hey is this the way that you see the i think you know clay cox and tyler gillum and all these young guys that are are figuring this out early but man when you look at the experienced guys the jim schlossnagels i mentioned tim corbin uh when you when you think about you know keith madison's and you think about the guys that are out there that that are really um, spending 20, 25 years, they've gotten to the point they've gotten to because they've adapted, but they've constantly found a way to learn. They're reading books. They're listening to podcasts. They're having engaging conversations. They're never just stuck in thought. Um, I think that's a unique element. I think another piece that, uh, of leadership, and, and Joey, be honest, this is something that I've really been trying to become aware of and, and I've, I've certainly struggled with and trying to become better at is the ability to not be afraid to say, I don't know. And I think too often a player will come to you and say, you know, coach, what do you think about this? And you, you, you don't want to leave him empty handed. So you, you just make it up and you figure mm -hmm. it out and you, and you bridge a lot of different points together. I remember a couple players asking me some things and I, I didn't really know, but 
but I wanted to make sure they knew that I knew. I wanted to make sure that they my my knowledge in baseball was was deep and had depth. And I talked to this cat for like four minutes, and I don't even know if I ever answered the question. And <laughs> I think that's the ability to just look at a guy and go, you know what? I don't know. But I tell you what, I'll work with you to find that answer. I think great leaders figure that out that I don't know doesn't make you vulnerable. It actually makes you stronger. I think people mm-hmm. view you differently. And so I've tried to to morph that here, you know, in conversations we have and um, being one of only two coaches that actually coached in the national office. I think sometimes those questions come our way and it's like I've always tried to answer them. And I've always tried to give what my gut says and I need to be better at that and saying, you know what, I truly don't know. Here's what I might think, but I'll work on finding the answer. And the last one is just being able to communicate effectively. And I know that seems so um, on the surface, being able to be be concise with your words and, and get your point across and, and do it multiple ways for multiple different ears. But I think being a, an effective communicator, Joey, there's a piece of that that you're an engaged listener. And that's a piece that that all these guys are. I think when you have a face-to-face conversation or even on the phone, you can hear uh, the rebuttals back and forth. You can hear, like we were talking before we got recording, you can hear the, mm, you can hear the, yeah, you can hear. An engaged listener is one that is completely engulfed in the moment, completely engulfed in the conversation. And I think um, an effective communicator is one that doesn't just have to talk the whole time either. They're guys mm-hmm. that like to ask questions. They're guys that like to hear other responses. And that gives them an opportunity to really uh, you know, come back and, and have a good dialogue. So I think when you think about lifelong learners and the, the the confidence and the courage to say I don't know and to be an effective communicator to me those those to boil them down I think those three things rise to the surface each time. Man, that's so good, and I love it. I love it. I mean, like I said, I think I think those just those the takeaways that you're you're noticing of through these interviews with the coaches is so funny how you know us picking up some of the same things is, yeah. um, and and I always like to dive into again with having some experience from the corporate world. It's the same thing with great leaders. Um, outside of baseball, you know, when you have those great leaders, you know, the CEOs, the executives, the people that I'm interacting with, um, you know, that they hear you and um, they, not only that, they, they take in, they want to know how they can help. And Mm -hmm. I think that's why they're so invested in the conversation. Mm -hmm. They're so worried about where they can help um, or what they can learn from you. And, and, and that lifelong learner uh, mindset and that growth mindset is just crazy how it evolves outside the game and within the game and the great leaders. You know, I always say, uh, leadership is leadership, no matter where it is. If it's That's being it. a parent, if it's, well if you're, you know, if you're, if you're being a parent, if you're uh, running a podcast, if you're being a coach, if you're, you know, running a, a corporation, you know, leadership is leadership. And, that's why I think we grab people from the military, the Navy SEALs and things like that. And they come over to the business realm and they're, you know, business consultants because they know how to run teams and they're effective leaders and effective communicators. Um, and I, I love that aspect. And I'm glad you, you you dove into that. Now, you know, what are some things that if you were to, I know you said that you're not going to coach, but if you were to <laughs> dive back into the coaching realm or if you were to, you know, maybe serve as a mentor to a young coach. What are yeah. some things that you would implement um, in your coaching strategy? And, um, you know, what are th- some things that you think are important? Yeah, probably more the latter. And I know I'm, that's a hard stance to say I'll never coach again. I don't see myself coaching again. I know that crazier things can happen. But um, definitely from where I sit now, it, it is about being a mentor. It's about being a, a confidant. It's about uh, trying to help, trying to guide. And um, I love that dynamic. And I, I answer text in the middle of the night because it means that much to me when somebody asks for for advice. I think if I were to go back or if I were talking with young coaches, things that, you know, when I look back and we were talking about the head coaching realm, 
I would empower my assistants more. And I think that was, mm. that was one thing as a head coach. Again, once you, once you get your, your hands on the reins, it's easy to, and you have to, you have to put your blanket over the program. You, you can't walk away from that. No matter what the press box looks like, how, what, how if the hot dogs warm down the concession stand to how's the infield edged and drug to how the grass looks to how you steal bases. All that has your imprint on it. So you can't walk that away, but what you can do is empower assistance. And, and more than that, just be aware that they're human so that they have egos themselves. They have their own desires. They have their own drive. And I think if you, if you really spent time getting to, to truly speak to their heart and find out where they're coming from and what their, their drives are, then it gives you a chance when you have that 23 year old in front of you, that's first year varsity assistant coach. And you know, just like you were Joey, just like I was, I wanted a head coaching job at 23. I can do it, coach. Just let me run the bases. Let mm -hmm. me let me coach third base and run the offense. I remember I told that my very first job with Eric Hagan, again, 20 years in the game, and I sat down at Cracker Barrel for dinner with him, and I said, hey, you know, I'd really like to to coach third and run the offense. And he was like, well, what, <laughs> what gives you the right to do that? I go, well, I mean, I, I coached, you know, two years of Frankfurt 16-year-olds, and I, I was over there. I mean, I, just, I like having my hands on the game. He's like, yeah, so you're going to coach first base and keep your mouth shut. That's what you're going to do. You know what I'm saying? That's that's. I yeah. think you've but you've, yeah. you've got to. He that was a good moment for him to realize who he's dealing with. He's dealing with a yeah. cat whose ego was out of control, so he needed to find ways to to wrangle this Mustang back in. And I think yeah. you just got to be aware of egos, but also if you empower your guy and you give him responsibility, then it gives you a chance, and you put something that he has the opportunity to put his name on. Then it gives mm -hmm. you a chance to coach that cat. And yeah. if if the base runners struggle over a weekend, or if the outfield play uh, takes a nosedive in the middle point of the season, then you get a chance to go, okay, man, we've, we've noticed our last couple games, outfitters are, are struggling at this. How are you going to address that this week in practice? You know, it gives you a chance to, to create an opportunity for accountability. And, and that gives you a chance to really be a leader. You talk about leading, Gary Henderson hit me with this, man. Everybody wants to be a hitting coach. Everybody wants to be a pitching coach. Nobody takes uh, a ton of pride in just being the infield guy. You want to run the hitters and the pitchers. Well, guess what, sweetheart? You're a pitching coach when you go on the road and you give up 30 runs in three games on the weekend. Mon Monday morning, you're now a pitching coach because you've got to stand in front of those guys and convince them that everything we're doing is working and we're going to be okay. And we're, you know, so I think there's some, some, um, some real teeth inside of empowering your guys. And again, just realizing that as a head coach, maybe you're not always the best guy to do everything. You know, I always try to, to jump in the middle of all of it. And it's like, man, I, sometimes I should just, Hey, you go do that. And it may not look the way that I would have done it, but that's okay. I think, you, you know, let, let them figure out and take ownership um, you know, one thing, Joey, and I know you and I are both energy guys. And um, as a coach, when I brought that to the ballpark, I wanted my kids to play with energy. I was super intense. I wanted them to be super intense. Um, almost that Jack Leggett football mentality I tried to bring to the ballpark. And I just wish as a coach, I would have just let them be who they were going to be. I think I tried to to guide team identity because I want because I felt like that represented me. And it does. But I think more coaches recognize that my guys played scared <laughs> because yeah. they were they they knew that if they screwed up I was I was grabbing them they they knew yeah. that I was going to pull them from a game and instead of walking over and saying hey man your kids were ready to play they were prepared those compliments didn't mean as much to me as man your kids just get after it they play hard they they talk the entire game they blah 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 and I think you just got to mm -hmm. let them be who they're going to be 
And then the last yeah. thing is just being able to separate the relationships from the competitiveness. That was one thing that Ooh. even between coaches, man, I, I, I could not do that. I, I, mm. I could be your buddy at the home plate meeting, but during the game, I wanted to, I wanted to strangle you. And it's like, <laughs> as you know, so it's me as the 30, you know, 30 year old guy and you're the 60 year old guy and I'm trying to strangle you in the middle of the game. Dude, let, let these non kids on my team do what against your nine kids. Let's see where it goes. Like not mm. making it so personal. And I think that again, when you look back at, at these young guys, I think it's, it's, it, I think to me that feeds into defining yourself on wins and losses period. And, mm. um, and, and really be able to separate away from that and go, there's much more to this. You know, at the end of the day, man, I'm only going to be here for a few years. So I want to make sure the guys in my conference, I have good relationships with. So yeah, mm. I might kick their butt or they may kick my butt, but I still want to become friends. I still want to develop relationships where I can. Um, mm. I think those things, man, I think they matter to young coaches paying attention. I think those are things you need to consider. Yeah. And, you know, I want to put a disclaimer there too, is I've met some really, I mean, we've interviewed some fantastic, very young coaches mm -hmm. and we've interviewed some fantastic, very old coaches. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I think that's the same thing too. I've, I've had, when I was in the corporate world, I had some very unbelievable, you know, executives that I work with. And I had some, you know, very, you know, I had some guys that were older and disconnected and maybe mm -hmm. didn't have a good feel for what was going on. And, um, you know, I don't want to put that disclaimer there that, uh, there is a wealth of knowledge in, you know, young coaches. And there's also a wealth of knowledge in older coaches. Right. And I, and I also know, I've, I know she too. And I've also met, met some older guys that, you know, have, that missed the bus yeah. and, you know, it's, yeah. or they never caught the bus in the first place, or, <laughs> you know? And so, um, you know, I've seen both and I've seen a lot of young guys that are, you know, have they, the, with myself included that, you know, there's some ego, some, some things I need to die to myself, you know, mm -hmm. as, as That's I would it. say from, uh, you know, Christian perspective there is just, you know, there's some things that I definitely need to die to myself a lot more and hand some more things over to God. So, yeah. um, some great things I wanted to touch on there. Cause if you, you reminded me of John Maxwell is one of uh, a mentor that I, I, I tie off of all the time. And mm -hmm. one thing he always says about leadership and empowering um, guys underneath them is the 80, 20 rule. Um, if they, if somebody below you can do it at 80% of what you can do it, you should pass it on. And, um, that's and that's, and that's a, a great one. I always tie to, if someone can do it at 80% of what I can do, I can hand it off. Mm -hmm. And, um, he also, another thing that I love that he says is he says, he, he said, wrangling leaders is like trying to wrangle cats. <laughs> and yeah. so, yeah. and so when you get, I think when you get uh, really great coaches that, you know, young guys that want to be head coaches, I mean, it's not a bad thing. I mean, uh, no. I, used to, I used to have a, my coach, I'm hopefully going to grab him here in a couple of weeks too at uh, UAPB. Coach James used to tell yeah. us all the time. Yeah. yeah, Coach James, he used to say, he used to say, you know, I don't hire an assistant coach unless he wants to be a head coach. And mm -hmm. I think that that was a great, you know, thing for him is he wanted guys that wanted to be leaders, guys that wanted to run the show. Um, but I think you have to be a very, as Maxwell would talk through this is, you have to be a very secure leader to have That's somebody it. that wants to be at your realm and, and you know wants to do what you do. Um, and I think that that's a great, you know, thought process. You know, you trying to get, if you have ever tried to, you know, get three cats doing the same thing, you understand, <laughs> um, you know, leaders are the same way. I, I, I feel bad for, you know, Andy at our program all the time because, you know, I always, I'm the same way, you know, I have a philosophy on, you know, I love the game. I'm constantly a student. I'm, I'm tying in, I'm pulling in all this perspective. And um, I'm that young guy that goes to ABCA and I come back and I have a million ideas of how I want to, you know, do things and I want to yeah. implement everything and um, trying to execute and, you know, I, I, 
it's, I know it's hard. And I think as a young coach, if you can understand that it's hard to deal with you <laughs> and yeah. deal with, you know, you being young and being able to jump from, uh, you know, maybe being a little impulsive because, you know, you're going along with your emotions a little bit. If you can understand, you know, and appreciate the leadership that it takes to handle you. Um, I think that you'll have a lot more appreciation for your, your head coach and what it takes to, you know, being able to deal with uh, this young guy that's full of energy and wants to execute on, you know, everything and <laughs> change, change the game of baseball, you know, as a young guy. There's so, no doubt. There's no doubt. I love that side. And I'm, I'm glad that you dove into that. And, you know, that kind of leads us to the next question here is, I know that you've noticed and I've heard you talk about it. I follow you on Twitter and, you know, really starting to dive in with baseball. We're trying to dive into the technology side of things and the implementation of that and all this analytical data and how it changes, you know, it's changing baseball at the college level and at the pro level. You know, where do you see, how do you see that going as we advance? And what do you think that, does it, you think that that changes the aspects of a coach and things that a uh, different perspective of a coach or can you kind of dive into all of that? I know that's multi multifaceted, but you kind of dive in where the technology is taking the game. Well, I think the question mimics the dynamic of, of the nuts and bolts of the question. I mean, it, it's not easy. It, you you mm -hmm. can't just boil it down and now you got it and you move on. I think um, it's taken me, I thank God I'm not coaching. It's taken me three <laughs> years to step away and not have accountability to it and learn what I can from the outside because it, it honestly, it scares me and it scared me greatly a few years ago. And now I'm starting to understand it a little bit more and I'm starting to see it. And again, I'm starting to see how you incorporate it into coaching um, and the, the different terms that are out there and, and all those things. And it's, um, <laughs> it's changing the game, man. And I, and I, I leave it with this. And we said this a couple weeks ago on the podcast, adapt or die. That is reality. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, I think, if you're still the old coach fighting this, man, I just, you're, you're fighting the wrong battles. Like you're, you're just, you're, you're going to, you're going to lose on this one because the, if you're in college game, the kids you're recruiting, they, they know these terms, they're on social media. They know these terms, they watch major league baseball. They're using these terms. They're using these technologies. So mm -hmm. to fight it. And the only example I'll give is, you know, we were putting together our barnstormers coaching clinics and couple coaches. Hey, what were some topics you would talk about? And an older coach hit me with uh, the myth of exit velocity and launch angle. <laughs> that, that was the title. And it was like, yeah, a hitting oh, discussion man. about the myth. And I go, okay, sweet man, you got outfield play. <laughs> because because there's no way that, that I'm going to give that platform because man, it ain't yeah. a myth. It ain't it going ain't away. Yeah. You know, you may not use that term, but Darren Everson on our show said, you've always talked about launch angle you just didn't call it launch angle yeah. you know you, you've always talked about exit velocity you've always said hit the ball hard you just didn't call it exit velocity so mm -hmm. don't don't get so lost in the terms but from the technology end, man there's just so many great things that allow coaches to how about not guess when it can be measured like yeah. if, if you can measure it man you hit that ball hard better than the last one from my mm. from my eyes perspective yeah well, no, actually not really coach. He hit that one 87 and it was the other one before it was 84 off the bat, mm -hmm. you know? So I think that gives you a chance to, to really have numbers to back out what you're back up, what you're doing and teach from, um, it's happening, man. It ain't going away. And I, I go back to, you know, university of North Carolina head coach, Mike Fox, great article during the college world series talking about how, you know, that dude has every right to not change. You know, he had 1400 wins. Uh, five or six World Series appearances. I mean, he he is the guy at Carolina, 
and his uh, they missed the regionals for two years. He has a young intern, 20-year-old kid walks in his office that's been helping in the office with data. This kid had done some internships with some pro teams and had gained some statistical knowledge. And he came back and he said, Coach, just some things to think about. If we study these statistics and the numbers, not only can we adjust our lineups, we can adjust our defensive positioning, and here's some metrics that we might want to be paying attention to. Mike Fox has every reason to kick that kid out of his office. Mm-hmm. And go, you, you mean you've got enough nerve to come here and tell me? Mm-hmm. And he went, instead, lifelong learner, the ability to say I don't know, all those things earlier, to go, let's break that down a little bit more. What else can you tell me about it? And they change the entire dynamic of how they coach this year, and they go back to the World Series and make a really good run. And I think that accentuates the point that any coach can do this, any coach can change. I think you know the upper levels of college baseball are seeing – the infiltration of technologies, the lower level guys, you know, the D2s, the D3s, the NAIs, the JUCOs, the high school coaches, don't let that that budget excuse be the one that keeps you from diving into this. Because I've talked with some junior college coaches, I've talked with some high school coaches. Hey man, we mm-hmm. want Rap Soto. And they've called Rap Soto. Well, I can't afford Rap Soto. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll cut you a deal. Or fundraising, mm-hmm. that's what everybody, hey, we need new uniforms. We need new uniforms. Our budget doesn't pay for new uniforms. Have you thought about fundraising? Because, man, you could go mm-hmm. work security at a, at a Colts game. You could go work the concession stand at, at the college football team in town. You could uh, – we've sold – dude, I've sold cookies. Uh, we, <laughs> sold, we sold schedules. We, we did everything. We had a bowling night. We had a, a cornhole, a bags night at our, at our mm-hmm. facility. We've done everything to make money to give our kids a different experience. Well, imagine using your fundraising dollars and doing creative things outside of the game to enhance what's happening on the field. Fundraising yeah. to buy a rap soda. Fundraising to buy your team blast motion sensors for each bat. Mm-hmm. Doing things that give you an opportunity to use this technology to make your team better. Again, measure what's happening on the field, and it gives you a chance to stay current. And again, if I'm any coach on any level, your kids, this is not new to them. They actually feel really comfortable with it. So mm-hmm. you've got, again, we keep talking about finding different ways to reach, co- reach kids. You've got to find a way to reach them. You can do that through technology. You can do it through these these avenues. And again, I think to fight it, you're missing the boat, man. You've got to find a way to grasp it, embrace it, learn as much as you can about it, and implement your program. Because it's a it, it's where we're at right now. Now, um, to answer your question more fully, Joey, 20 years from now, do I do I see technology in the game? I don't know. I mean, I'm obviously not a psychic, but you know, <laughs> as we look at the game and how it ebbs and flows. But you see it going that way. Look how look how much more technologically advanced we are as a society in terms of cell phones and computers and you know different robots inside our household that sweep up our floors while we're gone. Like I don't see technology going away. So again, that that's even more reason if I'm coaching in 2018, I've got to embrace this because I don't know if we see this leaving the game. I think it even enhances and becomes you know sensors. Mm-hmm. They've already developed sensors inside of bats. They develop sensors inside of baseballs. I think at some point they they determine how to keep that on the field, how to get a baseball that can that can read spin rate, that can read these different things and use it inside of a major league baseball game. We're only a few years away from that. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's what we were talking to Brett Thomas from uh, from Blast not too long yeah, ago, and they're saying, stud. yeah, no, and all these and all these sensors inside the bats and um, all this technology from Diamond Kinetics and all these things that are coming out. Um, it's, and it's great too, because the great thing is we have so many different ways to measure these things from, let's say, um, you know, if you have Rapsodo, you can now com- 
pair those against our guns. We actually had uh, Joe, uh, Jordan Stouffer on just a couple of days ago, and he was mm-hmm. talking about how his readings from his gun compared to Rapsodo, he was starting to notice when the gun was wrong and mm. on different angles and how many miles per hour on average that it's wrong. And I was like, that's interesting to me, mm-hmm. you know, and like, so now we have another side. I mean, before all we did is we put three guns next to each other, but they're all measuring with the same, you know, information yep. where Soto is in front, you know, obviously in front or it, it's, it's seeing it come out of its hand and it's reading spin rate and all these other data. So we can kind of check, you know, check technology against technology and see if our data is even accurate. And I love, I love that side that like kind of the checks and balances that we're going to develop here in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing I wanted to add, uh, if you're a coach that's dealing with budgets and you're not an ABCA member, you're hurting yourself. That's it. <laughs> you're hurting yourself because there's discounts all over the place that's right. for being a member, you know, uh, and that's the same thing too. Like with our show, we're trying to find ways and we're, we're, we're finding more and more ways to get discounts to, you know, again, right now already, if you want the blast motion sensor, we, you know, we got discounts for that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, all these, I'm talking to rap Soto and that's another, you know, area that we're, we're, we're working on as well. And I also wanted to comment on where you're saying, you know, coach has been using these things forever. In my opinion, I told uh, Taylor Snyder in a couple episodes ago, I told him, you know, he's in the minor leagues. And I said, Hey, I said, you know, this is the same stuff your dad was using, you know, back in the day, it's, you know, launch angle is just hit them where they're not. That's yeah, all launch it. angle is. Hit it's hit them where they're not. We've, <laughs> yeah. We've been talking about that for forever. It's just hit them yeah. where they're not. And it's amazing to me. You know, I was just watching the, the Mets game the other day and there's a hit and run and they execute a hit and run uh, against the Cardinals or something like that. And Alex Rodriguez says, <laughs> Alex Rodriguez, God bless him. But he says, mm-hmm. um, he goes, man, it doesn't, ha- doesn't always have to be about launch angle. And I'm like, there's a launch angle. Yeah. <laughs> a hit and run yeah. has a launch angle. <laughs> you know, you know, Harold Reynolds um, and, and I'm, this isn't like the time and, and you and I both, are not coming from a place of yeah. we've got we've got a rod more than you know we know more than a rod we know more than harold reynolds <laughs> we don't know like that's not where we're coming from jim Tomey. Yeah. but yeah i just think it's 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 funny and you see it on social and all those things and any off comment gets blown up different a different world than we live in and um yeah it's just interesting to hear guys who are paid to evaluate these things and comment on these things and to, to not understand them. And again, I'm yeah. working on my understanding of them. I'm not, I'm not, I yeah. haven't arrived, you know, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm still working to understand what's out there and, and how to use it. Um, you know, uh, putting different, uh, lines inside of batting cages and what that represents. I, I'm watching these different mm-hmm. videos of guys, uh, feeling comfortable pulling balls in the cage, man. I, I'm sorry. I got 35 yeah. years of you just don't pull balls in the cage. You hit them right back up yeah. the middle of the backspin. Like, so it takes time, yeah. but guys that are, that are paid to do this and, and they're struggling understanding these terms and using them correctly. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, rounds every day, something about, well, that sure isn't in a launch angle swing. And you're like, yeah, Harold, that's the complete <laughs> wrong use of the concept. Like, I think you're, you know, like the Joey Votto thing, I've been fighting, tweeting this like for weeks now and the Joey Votto pop-up thing is like, Hey man, I'm, I'm all for for team Papa, man, look at that launch angle. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like when you, when you go back to all these things, like it's, it's all, it's all new. So if it's new, it's scary. Yeah. If it's scary, it's easy to resist. Yep. And I think that's yep. where a lot of coaches are. And instead growth comes when you're uncomfortable guys that yep. you, that's been said a million times over. And that doesn't change scary terms in baseball. If it scares you, mm-hmm. if it's uncomfortable, then dive in and grow. Technology scares me. I'm 
I, I can get around on my iPhone pretty well, but like you and I were t- editing a podcast is another animal and it's, it scared <laughs> no. me. And now that I've embraced it, I'm starting to get better at it. And I'm starting to understand how to navigate audios and, and, and audio boards and, and change levels and do some things. It just takes time, man. It really does. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, also as a baseball community, I've, I've commented on this before. I think we could have done a better job of, and I, and I know this didn't start with baseball. It's been in golf for a long time mm-hmm. um, and, and in other sports as well. Um, but I, I always said, I, I thought, I think that launch angle would have been adapted much quicker if we changed it to exit angle. Yeah. And, and I think, I think the, the whole point of like what people think of when they use the word launch and what mm-hmm. they address that as, and it's, it's so common to me. And I think if you start using, like you said, if you dive in with the blast motion data and you just have your guys hit, um, and I, for example, just the other day, a guy hits a home run and I have a swing on blast motion on 3d, right. Mm-hmm. Um, the 3d sensor, and you can, you can watch how he goes through the zone. And it's amazing to me, you know, a coach will watch that swing and be like, man, that's such a great swing, but then, you know, doesn't want to talk about vertical bat angle or et cetera, all these other mm-hmm. data analytics that we could talk through. But if you don't have to, you know, be on Twitter and, and throwing out all these, um, all these different terms. If you just study, let your players just do what they naturally do. Mm-hmm. Use the technology just to study what they're already doing. Maybe you're teaching something and the verbal cues are correct and, or they're not, I wouldn't, I don't want to say correct, but they work. And if your verbal cues are working, but maybe you want to, the data will show you what's actually happening. And I think a lot of people get confused. They confuse launch angle with attack angle. That's right. And Attack angle is completely different from launch angle. And I think more often than not, uh, we're all talking the same language, but we're using different terms. That's it. Um, and it's just, like I said, like a data collection and, and that science side of the thing, it, it's just another language. Just like, you know, a couple of years ago when we're saying that everybody needed to learn Spanish because we have, you know, all this Latin presence in the game. It's just another language we have. Now we have a whole bunch of kids that are on the science side of things and data side of things. And mm-hmm. that's another language that we're going to have to learn to adapt so that we can better communicate and be effective communicators. Like you mentioned, you know, earlier in, in the show. So I think uh, the one place that you don't want to stand is trying to impede progress. Cause uh, I don't think anybody's <laughs> won that battle. <laughs> you will get run over. There's no doubt. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And, you know, I, I kind of want to spend this to a, a different way now, I, you know, obviously diving more into your interviews that you, you've interviewed some of the top minds in the game and you continually do this on a, on a weekly, you know, uh, a weekly basis. You know, what, is, what are some advice that you have for these coaches that are just getting started um, since you've had this experience with all these high level coaches? Yeah, I think number one is um, if you haven't listened to our show, do that. If you're not, if you're listening to yours, awesome. If you're not listening to Ahead of the Game, do it. If you're not listening to Patrick Jones, do it. If you're not listening to Top Coach, do it. I think the podcast space is such a uh, an underutilized opportunity for coaches to learn, period. Mm-hmm. And um, I think if you change your daily habits, if you know, I always tell a story, man, I used to get in my car and I'd drive at a 30-minute drive to downtown Louisville from my apartment, 30 minute drive back. And mm-hmm. I would get in the car and blast Wu-Tang Clan the whole way down to the <laughs> office and blast it on the way back. And there was an hour that I could spend listening to maybe two short podcasts or, or one full podcast a day, um, getting on the mower and mowing the ballpark. There's three mm-hmm. hours that I could listen to a few podcasts. So I think if you're not into this, find these opportunities because the very best of the best are doing these things. They're listening to our shows um, they're finding ways to learn and grow and challenge. So I think start there. Some of the stuff that comes from these combos, you know, that was a tough question for me to answer, man, because 
it's like your you know your top three of of ten thousand points that that are really uh, good, but the the again themes seem to come out. Um, you know the the success leaves clues. Those things start to arise. I think the biggest one is the, the cliche of be where your feet are. And what's awesome is we're almost you know we're ninety some episodes in. I've heard that said a lot of different ways uh, as our listeners have as well. And I go back to this man. I think if you're where your feet are, I think that is completely embracing the opportunity that you have. And I think that's hard for young coaches, hard for older coaches, but for younger coaches, like we've talked, you know, through and through is it's that fight of that ego of where you want to go. You don't always want to be the assistant coach at Franklin County high school. I got that. You Mm -hmm. think that you should be not only the head coach at, at Franklin County, but you should be the head coach at Transylvania university. And you should be the head coach of the university of Kentucky. And you should be the head coach of the Minnesota twins. I got it. Like I Mm -hmm. I understand all those dynamics, but if you're where you are right now, if you really embrace the opportunity, if you make the place that you're at better than you found it, if you leave it in better, a better position to the next person, you're going to get the job that you're looking for. I think if you uh, sell out for the boss that you have right now, your future boss will have no choice but to hire you. And so I think if you're always, to me, it makes sense in terms of grass because I'm all about making my yard at home nice and all those things. If I'm worried about the weeds that are growing in my neighbor's yard, then I'm missing the fact that weeds are growing under my feet and my own. And I think we do that as coaches. We look ahead. Well, if we win 20, then maybe I'll get an interview for this job. And if we win the sectional championship, then maybe I'll get a chance to go get that head job. And I think you just got to, again, be where you're at um, and if you are thinking ahead and getting ahead with your thoughts and getting your career, you're already thinking five years down the line, coaching your kids today, you're cheating your players. Rob mm-hmm. Cooper said that on our show, and I've, I've always held on to that, man. You're you're cheating the players that you're coaching right now if you're thinking about the kids that you want to coach five years from now. That's good. Another good line that came, uh, episode one, man, Nate Yeski from Oregon State dropped on me. Uh, you got two ears and one mouth for one reason. We've heard that before, but the way that he framed it was when you get around uh, older coaches, man, ask questions and take notes. Instead, younger coaches, I want to impress you with how much baseball I know. Well, young cat, there's real power in wrinkles. I mean, you you, yeah. you earn wrinkles, and you earn them through perspective. You earn them through experience. And when you get around older coaches, man, you got to ask questions. You already have the position. They recognize that the head coach wouldn't have hired you if he didn't think you were a good baseball guy. So nobody's nobody's questioning your job. But now make it about you, the learner, and you, the learner, wants to sit with X, Y, and Z. And man, I want to grill you guys with questions, and I want to facilitate, kind of like a podcaster, I want to facilitate a conversation between you three that allows me to step back and just listen and learn and and take information from you guys. And the last little thing that makes sense to me is to never let your thoughts settle in concrete. Always, always play in the dirt. Uh, cause dirt w- will never change, man. It might get muddy every once in a while, then it dries out for a little bit, but, but it never turns to concrete. And I think our thoughts and our opinions on the game, it's so easy for us to really, um, add water and let it settle and let it become thick. And so this is at 23, this is how I teach hitting at 32. This is how I teach hitting at 40, at 60, at 80. And we've got to constantly keep ourselves in a place of, I believe what I believe but I'm going to always question it just a little bit. I'm going to invite engaging conversations to question and it's going to hurt and it's going to hurt your ego. And it's going to challenge you on a deeper sense of, man, I've been teaching, I've been coaching that for years. 
but I never mm-hmm. thought of it like that. Or man, I've, this is my tried and true drill. I do this with every hitter. Well, that may not work for every hitter. Oh, mm-hmm. I never thought of that. Find your way to, to constantly keep yourself in a place of challenging thought um, and find a way to just play in the dirt, man. Keep everything relative to where you're at. Keep everything free flowing. You know, you can, you can play on that great dirt infield. And then if you get some too many cleat marks, man, go drag, put a drag through it. You know, mm-hmm. clean it up, make it look nice again, and and start over. Wipe the slate clean and start over in an area. Um, but in every facet of the game, hitting, infield, catching, pitching, every facet, man, find a way to keep keep challenging yourself. Yeah, I love that. I mean, and to that example, I mean, it's already happening already. I, I, there's a coach that I knew that was an avid, you know, hit ball in the air, anti-bunt guy. Um, and I just saw him the other day, and it was just so mind, it just opened my mind even more is now – there's a lot of coaches that are looking back towards the bunt because of, you know, everybody wants to drive the baseball. Third basemen are playing really deep. <laughs> and so, yeah. so because everybody's thinking power now, the bunt is actually like, I've seen a lot of people start to throw a lot more data. It's like, dude, this guy's playing, you know, 120 feet from you, you know, and it's, he's no longer playing, you know, he's not prepared for a bunt anymore because there's so many guys that don't do it. So it, it also opens that game up again, where, you know, if you can drop a really good drag bunt and then also hit for power, I mean, that just makes you more valuable. I mean, there's gonna be situations where that's, you know, that could win us a ball game. So you're, you're going to Joey and, and, and I hope listeners will, will remember this point. We're getting ready to enter a really interesting time of the year from August, September, October, when the playoffs start. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're on social media, it, it's, I mean, it, it's all throughout the year, but it really amps up in the playoffs because everybody's watching the Astros play. Everybody's watching mm-hmm. the range, you know, everybody's watching these games. And so everybody's commenting on them and you're going to see a lot of don't bunt, don't bunt, don't bunt. And why would they do yeah. that? And he pops one up, don't bunt. And then you're going to see a moment where uh, the guru is going to say, well, yeah, they won the game seven to six because they hit six solo shots and blah, 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 blah. They're never going to give credit because there's going to be a moment where a game is won because a guy moved a runner over and he mm-hmm. got a base hit that wasn't a double and it wasn't a home run. It was a single through the six hole mm-hmm. and he scores a run to win a game and they're going to find a way to go back to all the different home runs that happened. And it's like, but wait a minute, guys, let's recognize that some of us, we still have to win baseball games. Like developing a hitter is one thing, but mm-hmm. to go win baseball games, I, I get that that – you can't go every at bat and bunt and you're not going to be a great hitter. I understand that, but there's points mm-hmm. to your point when the third baseman's way back, you got a lefty that falls really hard off the mound. You got mm-hmm. a second baseman that's that's already in defensive shift mode to go back up first base where you can push bunt. You've got all these opportunities in the game to uh, show off short game plays, create havoc, create pressure, but more importantly, just play the game. Um, think of those moments. And when you see those moments, tweet about them because it's so funny how they'll get completely dismissed. And you're like, man, baseball is still baseball. I don't think yeah. I wouldn't bunt as much as I, if I coach now, I would not bunt as much as I did as a coach. I do think mm-hmm. uh, I got too uh, in love with the idea of pressure, but at the mm-hmm. same time, the game's still the game. And you're going to even see on the major league level, there's moments where we've got to move a guy late in the game, extra innings. We got to move this guy over. They're going to sacrifice bunt. They're going to push that guy. We're going to drag. Quickie guys are going to find ways to drag the third baseman back. It's going to happen, but mm-hmm. you'll see how quickly it gets deflected. Yeah, no, no. And I agree. And I think, I think that's the biggest thing is I, I've heard Eugene talk about this a couple of times. And I love, I love this point is that I think too often we fall to extremes, yes. no bunts period or all bunts or, you know, and we're, we're ever give or, we're almost never giving them open swings just to let it 
let it fly, Mm -hmm. you know? And so Mm -hmm. I think all, as always, it's always in the middle, you know, there's, there's, there's that, that balance of that balance of, well, you know what, let's say, you know, 60% of the time they're in these counts where, you know, dropping a bunt, it it probably really hurts their percentages of getting on base and scoring Mm -hmm. runs. Mm -hmm. And then, but also there is that other 40% of the time where, again, if we're moving the guy, if we're dropping a bunt, I mean, like you said, baseball is still baseball. Um, And I think the art of it as a coach is to recognize and see those situations and know when it's the right time to do those things. And when it's the right time to give the guy the three Oh swings, you know, the, let it, let it fly. And when it's the right time to, you know, drop a bunt with two strikes or when it's the right time to drop a bunt with it, you know, it's not, I know, I know I just stepped on a lot of old, old fashioned coaches (laughs) toes with that one um, with Mm -hmm. the bunt with two strikes, but there's certain times, you know, like, uh, you know, obviously the Cubs did that with bias and it didn't work Mm -hmm. out in that situation. Um, but that, that he, that he did it in the world series, but that was a great scenario where, you know, Madden just has that mind of the art of coaching of wanting yeah. to call things. And, you know, he thought his, there was a higher percentage of him to get on base bunting with two strikes than, you know, his 15 K's that he had already had in the last that's two right. weeks or, you know, that's and right. so, and so it's just interesting. Like I said, that's the art of coaching. Uh, it's never going to be the, in the extremes. There's always going to be a little bit of art to it. And I love that about baseball. Um, if there was a, you know, a book on this is the best way to do it, we'd all be masters. And, um, you know, <laughs> well, Here's one more one more quick point is that um, it's easy to watch, again, the Astros, the World Series champs. It's easy to watch them and, and then as a coach go, well, man, that's how we got to set up our offense. The, mm-hmm. We, we got to swing like Springer. We got to swing like Bregman. When you have a team full of Sid Breams, like you can't <laughs> – I'm sorry, you don't have Alex Bregman. Like I think mm-hmm. it's recognizing where you're at. So, yeah, I'm all for – and, again, I know the argument against that is, well, develop them for that. Develop them to hit doubles. Mm-hmm. Develop them to hit home runs. I'm all yeah. for that, man. Hit as far as you can, as, as long as you can, as hard as you can. But mm-hmm. it's, you know, when you've got to play the five foot four, 120 pound freshman at second base, <laughs> you don't need that kid leading the league in pop outs. Yeah. And, and that kid hitting in the, the one, the two, the eight, the nine, he's got to find a way to turn lineups over and get better hitters at the plate. Well, uh, that's not always going to be with a double. It's probably never mm-hmm. going to be with a double. That kid, it's going to be with a lot of singles through the hole. It's going to be with a lot of drag bunts or execution bunts or sack bunts. Like it's just recognizing the game and is relative. Mm-hmm. It's 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 not like you said. It's not one example, and that's the way everyone should do it. It's mm-hmm. relative to where you're at and the personnel that you have. So yeah, there's an overall development plan that each guy should be moving towards. Absolutely, we want all our kids to swing hard, hit it far, and hit it out of the ballpark. That's awesome. That scores a lot of runs, but it's recognizing where you're at and what you got. Mm-hmm. And and to your point, you can have the kid that's at second base, 140 pounds, and yeah, and in practice, we might be swinging it. You know, maybe we're mm-hmm. we're putting on some weight. Maybe he, you know, he we're developing. But when it's game time, it's time to win. It's time no to doubt. compete. No and doubt. whatever whatever that takes, if that's you know, okay, you know, I know in practice, you know, we're practicing, you know we're driving these, these balls in the gap and doing those other things. But we also can talk in those situations and say, Hey, you know, have those conversations before the game and say, Hey, so this is your role today. You know, mm-hmm. your role is going to be moving those things over. And obviously he needs to practice those things in practice as well and have some barrel control, mm-hmm. but that's all comes back uh, to practice design. I tell people all the time, I, I think practice is undercoached and in the game is overcoached, you know, and, and I, and I've learned that more and more as I'm coaching is, you know, when it's game time, I think I, I sit back a lot more and mm-hmm. let them do what I've, 
you know, what they've been training to do. It's showtime. This is when they have fun. They don't need, you know, the, the funnest part of the game. They don't need their coach down their throat all the time and tell them what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. We'll reflect, you know, reflect later on that in practice and work on those things. But we can't, we can't constantly, I mean, that's the funnest part of the game. Let's not, let's not push, you know, kids away from the game and take away the funnest aspect of it is actually playing a game. That's it, and 100%. so, so I, I think that's a, that's a big thing is, is in practice, I coach a lot more. And then when, when the game time comes, you know, that's, that's, we're on stage. There's, there's mm-hmm. not a lot of coaching, you know, we, we could talk about it later on in practice, but that's when I let them go have fun. That's when <laughs> I let them go and, and, and play the game and, and, when they fail, you know, give them hugs, you know, like that's one thing, yep. my, my shortstop, like some people think I would have never done this, you know, years ago, but you know, he's already hard enough on himself. So recognizing that as a coach, so when he comes in, instead of, you know, harping on him, he's one of my best defenders. So when he, he makes an error, when he comes in, sometimes I just give him a hug. Yeah. Like, Dude, it's okay. Like, Watch it. you know, how many, you know, how many errors I've made times I've struck no out doubt. with all over my head, you know, like, no you know, how many times that I've, you know, sh- you know, try to bunt and, <laughs> bunt and missed the first two bunts and then, you know, swung through for strike three over my head or, you know, like that's just the game. And, and it's, it. you know, and, and remembering that as coaches and remembering how hard the game is, is I think a key component. That's to that. a great and, point. I mean, uh, I, I continue to try to do that. And I, I encourage, like, if you're a coach that can go, go play slow pitch softball, go play, you know, go play. And I play in an adult ball league. I love, I love striking out so I can remind myself of how easy, how hard it is not to tell <laughs> sure. my guys, you know? Um, and also too the love for it. I mean, you know, I love hitting home runs still. I love doing those things. And I just, I just love the the competing side. So I try to keep myself active and still, you know, competing in some way. So I realize again, how hard it is to compete all the time, you know, and how hard it is to keep your mind there when you have things going on and bills and, you know, uh, things just like players have off the field, just maybe not bills at that point. Maybe it's schoolwork, maybe it's whatever. Um, but I think that's a great thing is just remembering how hard the game is and not getting that coach perspective too much where you've seen so many guys be successful that you get, you harp on the guys that are not, you know? And so I think that's a big way. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, let's, let's also spend this another way as well is one thing that I love about your sheets is you're one of those guys that you always make the, you always make whoever you're talking to in the room, feel like the biggest guy in the room. And um, you know, I want you to dive into that and, you know, maybe help us understand why that's important to you and maybe where you pulled that from. But that's one thing I've always noticed is whoever we're talking to always comes out feeling like a million bucks. And um, that's how you've always made me feel. So if you could dive into that, I'd appreciate it. Man, that's a high compliment. It really is. And it's one that, um, that I completely embrace. I, I, I love that that dynamic uh, comes out and that's something I, I mean, I've learned directly from my dad, my hero, man, the, a guy who was a professional motivational speaker, funniest guy in the room, um, you know, he had that dynamic and, and I go back to, and I, I've really tried to, especially, you know, you just passed in January, you start thinking about a little, well, how did we arrive at that? How did, is that just personality? Cause I certainly took on every of his, all of his traits, man. Every, every personality trait I have is directly from my dad. We were cut from the same cloth, but is it more than that? And, and I certainly learned from watching him and, and what was the dynamic that he, that was in place for him to do that? Um, is that just something that's inherent? Is that something that's learned? Can it be enhanced? And I think yes, yes, and yes. I think there's a piece of uh, personality that that has that. I, I've done a um, a, a personality uh, trait test and came back, and, and the identifier that they had as my number one is is what's called woo, which is winning mm-hmm. others over. And mm-hmm. there's definitely a piece of that, man. I feel like any person I meet is just a it's a, it's not a stranger. It's a friend I haven't made yet. And so now I have a chance to spend some time with someone at the convention. Maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's 20 minutes, 
get a chance to, to take a call, a cold call from someone. And um, how can I connect with that person? Um, how can I find a way to break through um, maybe maybe the, the the tough part of a conversation, that opener, that that moment that everybody's kind of little on edge? How can I break through that and tell something funny to relax the room? Or how can I find a way to, um, you know, repeat their name a few times and let them know, man, hey, I'm, I'm really am invested in this conversation. Um, that's a huge piece for me. And it's one that, you know, again, watching him and, and paying attention to how he went about it, I just felt like, you know, I, I certainly learned that from him, but it's something that I challenged myself to be better at each and every day, each and every conversation is find a way to make, to blow someone up. And I think it, you know, it goes back to treat people the way you want to be treated. We all mm-hmm. inherently, we like to feel like we're appreciated. We like to feel like we're being heard. Um, and, and so you want to give that to someone else. And I think too often, and this is where we're at too often on a phone call, on a podcast interview, face to face, we let our thoughts and we let our mind drift a lot of different ways. And, you know, no matter if we were on the call, Joey, for 20 minutes or two hours, mm-hmm. man, I'm going to find a way to mentally keep myself right. I got a, a, a baby at home waiting for me and a, a wife that's like, you really have to leave right now. <laughs> um, but I'm trying my best to not let my thoughts go there because I know this important means a lot to me and it means a lot to your to your fan base. It means a lot to this podcast and our relationship, Joey. So I'm not going to let my thoughts drift away in the middle of it. I'm going to keep them right here in the moment. And I think that's what comes through more than any of it. And I love that that people feel that way because that's my job. My job is to, if I'm talking with you, man, you are the most important person. I try not to uh, let my eyes face-to-face move around. That's tough to do at the convention because so many moving parts and you're trying to see other guys. But we've all had that conversation, again, relative to convention, where you're talking with a guy and his eyes are just roaming. And you've asked him a question. His eyes are roaming. He's looking for the next guy to say something to, the next guy to grab. Well, that's a conversation you can tell right away he has no investment in. And I think that's what you're trying to show on on the other end of of being an effective communicator and engaged listener is that you're invested in this moment. This means something to you. Heck, man, it might be only three minutes, but something Mm -hmm. you may say may be something that changes my thought for the next five minutes, the next five months, the next five years. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's how deep I think this runs. And so try to invest in people. I think you make a real connection. Um, you eliminate those distractions and, and in doing that, people feel really good about the moments that you have with them. And I think that to me is if we're trying to leave people better than we found them, then let's be aware that when we did find them, how do we treat them? Powerful. No, love it. I love it. And thanks for, I love how you make it, uh, made it applicable to the things that we can involve in our, our conversations. And I, again, it's something that I think that, um, you're just so great at and something that I I still I try to steal from you all the time. I when I see you talk to other people, I hear the podcast, like little words and transitions and how you do things. And so something I definitely mentor from you from from afar. Awesome. Uh that, that I love. So but now we're as we start to wrap up here, I have one of mm-hmm. uh the, the greatest questions that I, I want to steal from you is what are the three biggest takeaways mm-hmm. from hosting calls from the uh, the Clubhouse podcast? Gosh, that's so, again, I could go a lot of different ways. Where my thoughts ended up is exactly what I feel comfortable with adding to this is I think the main idea that came from it and what you and Bo are starting to figure out is that what started as a baseball show turned into an opportunity and a platform to develop leaders, to preach the idea of relationships should drive our bus, to coaching for reasons other than wins. And more than that, and more globally, is the opportunity to positively change the culture of coaching. And it's, mm. it's, it's comical for me to think back at the idea that I had on episode one. 
and the idea that I started to realize was fading in episode 20 and the idea that at episode, you know, 92 releasing this week that I just laugh at, we're not a baseball podcast. We are, we're going to talk through hitting. We're going to break down infield play. We're going to talk catching. We're going to break down practice planning, all those different aspects. But man, if we're not spending time understanding who this person is, because you know, the best of the best, they have things to offer successful people. If you're not trying to understand what their mindset is, um, how they arrive there, what are the pitfalls that they went through? If you can't let them be your experience and learn from those, then you've missed the boat. So again, um, in starting this podcast, I just thought, man, we're just, we're going to revolutionize, uh, coaching on air. Well, yeah, we're still talking about that stuff, but the, the premise uh, my heart when we start a show is, man, how can we impact someone that not only makes them a better coach, but it changes their life. And I know it sounds cliche, man, but that mm. that's the deeper level of where we're trying yeah. to go. And, and the, the, uh, the points and the, and the mission that comes out of it. Um, I land at, at this, our baseball, uh, people are special and mm. it, it is a brotherhood, uh, above all we're unique uh, than other sports. We're, we're much different than basketball. We're much different than football and mm-hmm. softball and, and all the rest of them. Uh, what our game does for our players, what our game taught us, which again, it, it, it gave us the sickness as coaches. It wrapped its arms around us and it never has let us go. It's in our veins. Um, I think what our game is, it, it, you know, the baseball gods and the, and the aura of our game is, is so much bigger. But I think in doing that and in, in, in getting a baseball person that's sacrifice that's committed and it's been part of this this fraternity that's what comes out of the airways for me is man just how blessed i am to be baseball dude like thank god every day for bud Ritchie that that i he, he changed my relationship with the game in a way that it's it's now my career i mean it is it is literally the sport that drives my career i mean think about what that dude did in, at 12 years old for me. And that's where I go to. It's a special fraternity. And the last thing is, man, is, that, is we're, we're getting ready to cross over into episode 100. And um, it's it's just a, a place I never thought would finally arrive. And I really think this, man, I think this about the podcast. I think this about the ABCA. I think about this and the culture of coaching is that we're just starting. If you have an egg in front of you, we're just starting to really apply some pressure to the shell. I don't even know if we've cracked it yet, but we're starting to just apply pressure. And when you think about how we've grown in the last four years at ABCA, a coach that's a loyal member would go, dude, you guys have just, you've changed exponentially. And, and, and what's happened, or, I hear you, man, but compared to where our thoughts are and where we mm-hmm. want to grow this association and where we want to go and the ideas that we're even going to open up this fall and the things that we're going to open up next year and the dynamics that are going to really continue to change, dude, we're just at about a, a slow walk right now, like a stroll around your neighborhood mm-hmm. and I'm going to do everything I can every single day to get us to where we are sprinting and that's where this thing's going. And so I think about those things all the time with the podcast and how that's been a great way to give us year round presence every single week. You can, you can bank on hearing a message from the ABCA, but more than that, man, we're we're just, the best is yet to come. So Mm -hmm. don't, don't settle in. There's no, no need to pop champagne. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not dumping champagne over my head here in the office. Like we're not, we're nowhere close. Um, and where this thing's going, no different than where the farm system's going, man. The, the, the community is, is coming together in a way that is so unique to in any point in history. I, and I, that, that's, I know it's such a global view, but man, it really mm-hmm. is, man. We're, we're at a much different place than we were five years ago. We're at a much different place than we were 50 years ago as a community. And so if we can keep fighting, maybe 
um, a little bit of the ego and keep a little bit of the infighting. And you're always going to have disagreements, man. But if you keep things at a place where I don't have to be right, um, I, I really feel like that that's the route we're going to go. So again, I think we're in the right place, but man, Joey, along with your, your help and your show and, and JG and uh, Jack Warren and everybody on board, man, we're going to keep moving this thing forward. Yeah. I love it. No. And um, you know, as, as always, you know, one, one thing I always like to say about the game and all these things and me and Bo have said it multiple times, I'm unapologetically very passionate about glorifying God. And yes. so um, with that being said, I, I feel like this podcast and your podcast, and you know, it's just another way to extend that. Uh, while, like you said, we are baseball podcasts, but at the end of the day, uh, developing, using baseball is, is more of a platform mm-hmm. than it is of anything. And as, as everything rooting back to the glorifying God and um, different ways that we can extend his love and let people know the good news, you know? And so I love, I love, I love, you know, baseball for giving me a platform to do that. And I know Bo feels the same way. And um, I know that you're, you've mentioned already multiple times, you know, your relationship with God. So I, I really love that side of it and really love, you know, the impact that we're making in the, in the world while, you know, obviously we always would like to reach more and more people and always search to find somebody else and, and to reach someone that we haven't reached uh, yet. I love that baseball has given us a platform to do that. So that's okay. huge to me. Well, one of our last questions before we, we figure out how we can get in contact with, I know this is a big, this is a big one for you is, can you talk through what, well, you know, what, what does being a father mean to you? Oh man, I've, I've, I've tried to find myself an answer for this one. Um, <laughs> you know, I was coaching when I found out that Chelsea and I were pregnant with, with, uh, with a baby. You didn't know it was a boy at that point in the middle of my season. And, uh, I didn't realize it was going to be my last season of coaching. I just think uh, knowing who I am and who I was as a coach, um, I don't think I would have been a very good father if I was coaching. Now there are great men and I applaud them that can, that can handle the duties of being a coach and they still, you know, they're, they're sacrificing things at home, but they still maintain a, a great fatherhood in their home, in their household. I I know there's people that can do that. I don't think I would have been one of them. And I struggled with that the last half of my season is, man, I just don't, I think I could be the average coach, the average dad, the great coach, the bad dad, the great dad, the bad coach. Like, I think those, Mm -hmm. those are my three options. And again, I I think, I think I believe in the Lord's plan and and, and seeing this job come to fruition and seeing this opportunity going, man, what am I going to do? How am I going to manage fall ball? She's going to have this baby and to see this job present itself, an opportunity for me to get off at five o'clock, have weekends off for the first time, uh, take off whenever I need to complete freedom to do my job, uh, complete freedom to, to, to be at home with my family. I knew that that was my greater calling. My greater calling is to uh, develop the, the relationship with my kids is the one that I have with my dad and, and who he was for me. And, uh, and, you know, the greatest dad of them all, I don't care who else is listening to this. My dad was better than yours. hundred um, percent. I don't know. But, she, I think, I think my dad beats up your dad. I, well, I'm just, I, I'm just telling you, man, when you, when you break it down, but that's, that was the mindset is like, man, that's what I want. I, I want my son. I want my daughter. I want Coop one day to say, man, I just, I'm, I'm thankful to be his son. I, I go back to that. Um, you know, even when I gave his eulogy, that, that was what I kept coming back to in my heart of hearts is, man, I'm just, I'm so grateful that I was his son. I had the chance to be that guy's son. Um, and that's where I come back to him. And I'm, I'm trying to walk in his legacy and, and, and be the dad that he was. And, and I think about that every day. Uh, you know, we got Coop in this world. We just had CJ, uh, a daughter. And, and so now I've got the, the, the different dynamics in my household of a boy and a girl. And, 
what those relationships are. They're totally different already. Um, and, and I can just feel that more than anything, man, I, I, I want to be great at this job at ABCA. But at the end of the day, man, I want to be judged on who I was as a father, who I was as the leader of our household, who, I, who I'm going to be as a husband um, means so much more to me. If you want to define me in any regard, then, then call me dad. Um, I'm growing the body right now. Um, I'm starting to figure out how to wear socks with my sandals. I'm going to buy some bad white Nike, uh, shoes one day. Like, I, I just think I, I, I want to be a dad above all. And that's what, that's what shapes me. That's what molds my thoughts each and every day, working my tail off traveling. I'm doing that to create an opportunity to help our household. And, and no more than that showed the lesson that my dad taught me was, I mean, if you want something, you outwork everybody. There, there's no doubt that you should get promoted. There's no doubt that somebody should hire you. There's no doubt as to anyone to guess that you're not invested. And that's the approach that I've taken, man. So yeah, being a dad is is a, is the greatest job and opportunity I've ever been given. Love it. Well, hey, Sheets, you know, I, you shared a lot of great information here. And, and I know, um, again, uh, you're almost a name now, in my opinion. I don't even know if you really need an introduction. So when you've, you've gotten to this, you've gotten to this. Level, <laughs> I've arrived. You've arrived. <laughs> you've arrived. But if, if guys, if, if people don't know, and if someone's not following you on social uh. media, can you give out some resources for people to get in contact with you and um, be part of you know as, as your growth as you develop? Absolutely. Um, well, number one is don't don't call me Jeremy. And I know that's <laughs> you know like it's just it, it it irks my skin. I always say debt collectors call me Jeremy. That's why I hang up the phone really quick on people because <laughs> you're not my friend. Half my friends don't know my first name is Jeremy, so I'm okay with it. I think I'm I'm getting to a point where and this is where I want to be. I'm going to be Prince. You're just going to know me as Sheets, and you're not even going to know that there was or there is a first or last name, and I'm okay with that. So uh, for anyone, reach out to me. Um, I, I am, I'm a complete open book, man. Like you can, you can DM me, you can shoot me an email, you can send me a text, you can give me a blind call, man. I'm going to break away and I'm going to, I'm going to invest some time in you if you're willing to invest it in me. So, um, reach out to me. Um, I'm on Twitter at coach sheets three, uh, also run the ABCA at ABCA 1945 account. Uh, you can reach out those two ways. Uh, my email is sheets S H E E T S at abca.org. Uh, love communicating with guys. Any way that I can help across every single front, I'm willing to do it. So much so, man, that I'll give you my cell phone, not my office phone, my cell phone, which is 502-767-7680. Um, and I'm all for helping. Any way that I can, please reach out. I hope something in this show uh, hits you. It's a takeaway for you. Reach out to me. Let's talk about it. Let's further the conversation. And uh, as Joey and, and so many of us are, man, we're all about helping others and growing the game of baseball. And, and that's what it's about, man. So I'd love to hear from you, man. That's awesome. Hey, you're a brave man handing out the cell phone number. That's, that's, that. <laughs> yeah. love it. Well, it was the wrong one, but I mean, uh, you know, might as well put it out there. <laughs> it's, the it's the rejection hotline. Right? That's I, get it. It. I get it. That's funny. Well, hey, sheets again, we thank you so much for your time and I uh, appreciate you sitting down with us and jumping through some things with us, even though we had some audio issues. It's part of it, man. I'm, I'm, very proud of what you and, and Bo have put together here, Joey. It's awesome to see something come out of nowhere and the the uh, quality that you guys and the, the time investment that you put into the social media presence that you've done, the audio stuff is just, it's off the charts, man. And so I commend you guys on behalf of the community, man. You, you're doing a fantastic job providing another opportunity for guys to learn and grow. And um, I'm grateful to my heart for the opportunity to be on here and um, huge fans, man, keep doing what you're doing. Let me know how I can help. Absolutely, Sheets. Thank you so much for the, the kind words and uh, we'll, listen, we'll get with you next time.
Thank you. Man, just such a great interview. with Sheets, happy that he could take some time to sit down with us. This call takeaway is brought to you by Quality at Bats. Don't forget to visit qualityatbats.com to further your mental approach to the game. Yeah, unfortunately, we experienced some technical difficulties, but um, when I was on, it, it was a great interview, Joey. What was your biggest takeaway? Yeah, I, I think my biggest takeaway with, with Jeremy is just really, and well, I, I guess you'd get mad if I called him Jeremy. We talked about that later on. My biggest, my biggest takeaway with Sheets is that is, you know, I, I think just understanding the role that you're going to walk into and everybody wants to be a head coach, but kind of understanding, you know, what makes you tick as a person and know thyself as, you know, one of our previous guests would have definitely said. And um, if you know that uh, thyself, you know, you know, really what makes you tick and what makes you happy, you know, maybe being an assistant coach is what's made for you. Maybe, you know, uh, just not being an assistant coach where you're at, maybe it's somewhere else, maybe it's in a different realm, maybe it's who knows, maybe it's a different sport, you know? Um, but in any case, I think if, if you know, you know, if you know thyself and you know what makes you happy and you know those things, you're going to provide the best uh, scenario and culture for your team. So I think that was my biggest takeaway um, with the Sheets interview. How about you, Bo? Yeah, with with my short time on, my kind of reiterates what you're saying. It was, you know, understanding your why and not allowing our ego to get in the way as coaches. You know, I think I think the biggest thing is understanding the big time is where your feet are. And if you're not willing to work for free, then you probably need to change what you're doing. So um, for my short time on the call, that was mine. Yeah, love it, man. Well, guys, as always, this is a great interview. Uh, Sheets has some great perspective when it comes to, you know, interviewing some of the top guys in the game and um, being out of the game for a period of time. And now looking back and being objective about things he could have got better at. So this is a great episode to share uh, with coaches, with players. Um, and I think there's some great conversation throughout this, throughout our interview with him that, you know, just hits massive multifaceted areas of the game. So love that. Always, you know, visit the system.farm guys. We're also sharing a whole bunch of videos with drills and um, mental aspects to the game and just, you know, culture, all kinds of things. So guys, stay tuned to that stuff. Uh, continue to retweet, rate, and leave comments on our podcast. They're all great ways of have a, help other coaches find us. And until next time, Farm System out.